So let's go ahead and read this together. Verse 37 to 43. When they heard this, they came under deep conviction and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what must we do? Repent, Peter said to them, and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. Then fear came over everyone, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So I had this amazing opportunity back when I was playing football. I was playing linebacker. They threw the ball into the flats to the running back, and it was just me and him in a big game. And I was ready to nail this guy in front of thousands of people. Actually, it was dozens of people, but, you know, <laughs> okay. I played for Mid-America Nazarene, not the Mid-America Conference, but Mid-America Nazarene. So there was dozens of people there. And, and it was just my chance, and I just, just in my mind, I was dreaming, I'm going to just nail this guy, and I got in the perfect position to do so, and I totally whiffed. I mean, he juked me so bad. It was so embarrassing. i like, oh, man, my face mask was really embarrassing, you know, in front of my friends, my parents who had driven up, you know, all that. It was just, it was just a bad moment. But what I was regretting more than that moment, for those of you who have played football or been around a football team, you'll understand what I mean, is not that particular moment when I missed a tackle. It was when we went over the film the next day. And I have a coach that uh, I just respect. Uh, to this day, I'm in contact with him, and, and he's just an incredible man, great coach. And he was doing the film session, and it was one of those times where like, you step this way, and then the film goes back. And they're like, wrong foot, wrong foot. Get your head in the right position. And it's like forever. You feel like this. He's going to go over this play for eternity. And, and so then the whiff happened. And all the coach said was, we got to get better than that. And guys, it crushed my soul. He didn't, he didn't call me names. He didn't, um, he, you know, he didn't belittle me but when he did that I'm like man I was dying a thousand deaths on the inside because I respected him but you know if he had not done that I would not have been as motivated to use the right technique and to get better um, I was hanging out with a youth pastor and I was an aspiring youth pastor and I was around 17 and I got to be really close with this guy. He was actually like a friend. So close that I got real casual with him and just started, you know, started just talking to him like he was one of my buddies in high school. And one day he took me aside and it was just me and him one-on-one. -on -one. He said, Aaron, I got to tell you this. You're, you're, you're too casual around me in front of the teenagers and it's coming across as disrespectful. And I didn't mean to. And I was so upset at myself. I thought, man, I, that's not my heart. I love this guy. I, I wanted to support him. I felt close to him. And that, that, 
maybe created a casual relationship with him in settings where it should not have been so casual. And um, since that time, I don't think I, I've, I've at least tried to always be respectful to those in authority over me, especially being aware of environment. Um, that changed my life. Changed my life at age 17. And, and I've never treated, I'm sure I haven't been perfect in this, but I've attempted to never undermine authority or belittle authority in that because it just didn't feel right. So here, here's why I told you those two stories. The most effective leaders in our lives are not the people who make us feel good. It's the people who confront us with truth about our deficiency. The way they confront us is important, but, but especially to those of us who are younger, like people younger than me, I know it's hard sometimes to hear that. I'm, I'm not belittling you here. I'm just saying that every generation responds to content differently. And, but, but what I'm saying is if when you realize that those who really love you correct you, and, and they have to have enough relationship and buy-in to do so. So don't be correcting me if you don't know me because I'm not going to receive it. But in the case of my coach and my youth leader, I loved them, I respected them, and I wanted to hear what they said. Today we're going to talk about being Acts chapter 2 people. And I love preaching about Acts chapter 2. In fact, we've been going verse by verse through, um, through this scripture. And so now we've kind of come to like a part of the scripture that, preaches good and preaches easily, uh, and, and I'm, I'm anticipating God sharing good things to us. But here's the first point I want to make. If, if you're new, you can take notes on the review, or you can go to version. But Acts chapter 2 people, which, are, which is an idealistic description of who Christians should be, because sometimes people are like, I don't like the church today. We need to go back to the book of Acts. We need to go back to the beginning. So let's go back to the beginning and see some characteristics. And they're people, number one, of conviction, people of conviction. We, we live in a generation where sometimes we, we, we want so bad for people to feel good, we're more concerned about how people feel than how people really are. And, and I've realized that I don't really have a mentor in my life or I don't have a leader in my life if at some point they don't make me feel uncomfortable or even take me off. And so that's part of being correctable. That's part of, of being teachable. Knowing that, like, I don't have all the answers. And so I'm going to receive the answers. I'm going to receive counsel. I'm going to receive feedback. And, and I say all of this because we have a God who is a God of conviction. And there should be some sermons we hear and some devotionals that we read and even when we draw from historical Christianity and learn about our forefathers, and, and it should sting a little bit. It should make us think, man, I'm not living up to God's standard. I'm not living up to the historic faith. It's okay sometimes to look at a, 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 maybe a godly grandparent or, or, or a godly friend or a teacher in our life and say their kindness and their love. And their devotion to the things of God is a standard that I'm not up to. That's not belittling you. That's not demeaning you. That's raising a standard in your life. And so this idea of conviction, that when the presence of the Lord and the word of God is presented to the people, it brings joy to the people. But sometimes the starting place for joy is a place of repentance. And we don't go to a place of repentance until we're at a place of sorrow to say that 
I don't measure up to what God has for me at this moment. But he loves me so much. He's revealing that. Not to condemn me, but to give me hope, to give me a pathway, to give me strength for the next day. So here's a scripture in verse 37. And I forgot to start my timer on the phone. I've been putting a timer here. So if I go too long, wave at me in the back. One of our ushers saw my timer when he was taking up the money. He goes, hey, man, you can go a little longer than that. I'm like, thanks. Appreciate it, man. So, but then I forgot to start it. Okay. Here's what the scripture says, verse 37. This is after Peter's sermon that we talked about last week. It says, when the people heard this, they were pierced to the heart. The version Pastor Josh read was they were convicted. This idea of like a sense of, of guilt came upon them. And I'm telling you this because we, we love to say key phrases, and I say them all the time. You know, God's not a God of condemnation. He's not a God of guilt. And that is, that is so true. He doesn't want us to stay in that place. But that place, that piercing, that conviction is what leads us to him. It, it, it leads us to a dependence on him. It leads us to a love for him. And so they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter, to the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? They don't ask the question about what to do if, if they don't think there's anything wrong, right? You ask a question when you want a solution. You want a solution when you realize there's a problem. So with no problem, there's no question with no question. There's no presentation of the solution. In verse 38, Peter replied, repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children, for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Now look at this in verse 40. With many other words, he testified, and look at this, he strongly urged them, saying, be saved from this corrupt generation. He, he, he didn't say, hey, you know, life is cool. You're, you're cool. Let's just float through life. It's all going to turn out okay. With strong words, he urged them. He called them to repentance. He, he, Peter, through the, the Holy Spirit's empowerment, had, had passion in his words and conviction in his words. And I just want you to know that if we want to be in Acts chapter 2 people, and, and more, more importantly, or actually not more importantly, simultaneously important, we want to be Acts chapter 2 Christians, we have to realize we are a people of conviction, that we are sensitive to the Holy Spirit. We're submitted to God's word. We are looking to a different standard. There, there's a difference between being a people with opinions and being a people with conviction. Because opinions can always be justified. Opinions should be created. So we're good at saying like, you know, I think this, or I've concluded this, and I'm just going to, this news story is bothering me, so I'm just going to share it with the world via social media. Because my opinion, and, and, and I want you to have those opinions, I understand that, I want you to be thinkers, but as people of conviction, we're not people who are driven by our opinion. Our opinion is formed through scripture. So that's what, that, that's what really drives us. And, and frankly, there, there are times when I've developed opinions on something, but scripture has informed me differently. Do you know what that's called? Conviction. I've come to a conclusion through natural reasoning but scripture, which God's people of all times, at all places, of all generations, of all continents have said, 
you know, we believe this is our safety. This is where our dogma comes from. This is our scripture because we have such a limited view of history and a limited view even of God himself, a limited view of theology. So we're going to trust scripture and the interpretations of that. And, and there have been times that me and my brothers and sisters that I'm in fellowship and that some of you, that some of you I, we, we've looked at the scripture together and like, this is my opinion, but this is what scripture says. And, and there is great, great safety in that. And there's great joy in that. There, there's an anointing in that. So I just encourage you, let's be people of conviction. Here's the second one, people of devotion. Starting with Acts 2.42. This is the name of our small groups. We, we call our small groups 2.42 groups, and they're based off this very scripture, Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which today would be scripture, because the, the scripture is a summary of the apostles' teaching. So they devoted themselves to, we can read into this, scripture, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Notice they devoted themselves. Like that was number one. That was the priority of their life. Doesn't mean that, that was what they loved. And here's the ramifications of that, starting in verse 43. And everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. This idea of devotion. What we invest in is what we're devoted to. So where we spend our time and our resources is what we're devoted to. And that's why we're devoted to certain genres of music because we're invested in genres of music. We're devoted to um, different shows. Like, you know, you're gonna devote yourself to a Netflix show. Like, I'm getting to the next episode. I cannot stop. I cannot stop. I'll see you in two days. We devote ourselves to that. And I'm not even, I'm not, I'm not saying that is always wrong. Some of you, maybe that's the best thing you can do spiritually is find you something and chill out. I watch some TV to the glory of God. Amen. That'll be my little quote that they'll put on Instagram. Watch TV to the glory of God. The point is, I'm not trying to, to project legalism here. I'm, I'm just, I'm talking to you about what are you devoted to? Because what you invest in is where your heart is. That's what I was talking about with the offering earlier. So, so we're invested in a sports team. So we're devoted to that sports team. There's a reason why you love the orange tea. There's a reason why you love that black and gold V. There's a reason why you love all the, the, the high school that you follow, all that. So it's gonna get real controversial here. So let me just focus. There's a reason why you cried when, when Prince passed away and you saw that purple bridge. There's a reason, because you're invested. I wasn't invested in Prince. I guess, like, well, I'm about, to, uh, I'm about to really upset some people here. Um, so let me move on. I'm invested in George Strait. I'm from Texas. Speaking of Texas, I was down in Dallas during my sabbatical a couple of different times. So there, there was one weekend that I was there and, and I, I was going to visit some churches. I ended up visiting four churches. Um, and how I did that was two on Saturday night, two on Sunday. And if I think hard enough, there may have been a fifth in there too. But um, that weekend was, was going on. And simultaneously, the Texas Rangers were playing a home series. 
And it was the last year that the Texas Rangers would be in that ballpark. And I grew up going to those games. I went to dozens of those games a year. And so that was just a big part of my life. And and so my boys started, they're like, hey, dad, you know, the Rangers are in town. You're in Dallas. You're going to go to the game. I looked at the schedule. Other people asked me that. I mean, I had like five or six people ask me, you're going to go to the Rangers game? And, and it was because they wanted me to go. And so finally, Beth asked me the same question. And um, she said, hey, are you going to try to go to the Rangers game? I'm like, I, I can't fit it into my schedule. She said, she said, well, I mean, that's your favorite team. I think you ought to do that. And then I said something, and it just came from my heart. And after I said it, I went, man, that's good. I need to write that down. I need to preach it in a sermon, so that's what I'm doing now. And I just said, I don't want to give my heart to the Texas Rangers. I want to go, but I don't want to give my heart to that. I have a chance to grow as a pastor, grow as a leader by sticking with my plan. And it's certainly not evil. It's actually good. And I've had some of the best fellowship with other pastors and especially my, my three children at, at ball games. And Beth, too. We've had some good fellowship, too, Beth, uh, at those games, too. Um, later on, she's like, why didn't you say I had fellowship? You know, I'm with these games with you now. <laughs> she probably wouldn't say that. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> It's like, you make me sound mean, and it's not. She's the nicest lady I've ever known. She really is. I, 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 she really is. I mean, and so. <laughs> so I knew that if I went to the baseball game, instead of the, the couple of churches I need to go to, my heart would be more attached to baseball. And I'm, not, I'm just giving you an illustration of we have to know where our devotion is. Now, the story doesn't always end this way, but I was at the airport and a huge storm came through in San Antonio and my plane got delayed like six hours. So I took my rental car to the baseball stadium and I saw the last five innings. <laughs> but it's really weird going to a baseball game by yourself. It's like, great hit. <laughs> self <laughs> made the right decision devotion brings momentum so whatever we're devoted to we we add momentum to it and that's why a crowd or participation means something that's why your presence at a 242 group your presence at the men's bible study this morning your, your presence at any place creates momentum. So when you're devoted to something, it creates momentum. Um, and guess what momentum brings? Momentum brings more momentum. And in the spiritual realm, spiritual momentum brings more of his presence. So as Acts chapter 2 people, I say be devoted to him. Be devoted to him. And be devoted to each other. Romans 12 chapter 10 says this. It says, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. You know, when we start becoming the church God wants us to be is not when you're devoted to CIL, but when you're devoted to the people you sit with, the people you serve with, the people you're in small group with. That way, if the pastor leaves, the church doesn't go backwards. I can say that because I'm not planning to leave. But I'm saying, I dream about the day when you guys don't need me. Because when that day comes, then 
we're being Acts chapter 2 people. We're devoted to each other. We're not devoted to a personality. We're not devoted to a brand. We're not devoted to a preference. We're devoted to each other. And even if the service tanks, the relationships don't. And it gives you something to talk about at lunch. Man, that service was terrible and that preacher was boring. But we love each other. Generosity creates community. And enough momentum will change the world. Here's number three, be people of generosity. Acts chapter two, verse 45, they sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. And every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and they broke bread from house to house and they ate their food with joy, joyful and sincere hearts. You see this people of generosity, they created the momentum and the love that impacted the kingdom of God. When we read this scripture, we can erroneously believe that generosity is reckless living, and that's not true. Generosity is a byproduct of wisdom. So I don't give away, unless the Lord says everything at the moment, I give away everything he tells me to give. And usually he, he wants us he wants us to take care of the storehouse, take care of that which will produce long-term. So we're people of generosity and we're not reckless with that generosity, we're obedient with that generosity. And obedience means wisdom and wisdom means you think about today and you think about tomorrow. The principle here is people over possessions. I want you to think about that. We love people over possessions. We love people over even the money we possess. We love people over our car. We love the kids in our neighborhood more than we love the grass. You know the old phrase that's come into society, don't be the old man who yells about his lawn, you know, because, hey, let the kids walk through the grass. My, my house is on the corner, and it's really weird. I, I'm having, I have people who just walk through my yard, and I just say, Jesus, I submit this to you right now. I mean, because I want to knock on that window and be like, hey, out of my yard. My son mows that, out of that yard. But, like, what does it hurt? Maybe their joints are hurting and they don't want to walk on the, on the cement. Okay? Now, before you think that I'm high and mighty and godly, let me just tell you, I'm quirky, guys. I'm one quirky dude. And so I try to limit, limit my quirkiness to just certain areas of my life because, uh, you know, when I have, I have pets and kids living in my house, I mean, just, just, there's just a lot of activity in my house. So my car, I keep my car clean. I'm like, I'm not going to mess with your world just do not leave your straw wrappers in the cup holder. That's all I ask, okay? Uh, my office is another place. I'm like, I, I don't care. Josh, you can keep your office messy if you want to. I don't care. It's not my office, you know? That's fine. I don't care. Just hypothetically, don't, don't leave your soda in my office. I can say that because he doesn't drink soda. So uh, don't leave your water cup in my office. I, I don't take care of your stuff. I, I, you know, don't mess with mine. I'm quirky like that. I'm quirky about the Sunday morning service. When I first came to this church, during the handshaking time when people were shaking hands, people started like slipping me pieces of paper and they're like, hey, would you announce it's so-and-so's birthday? And would you announce that like um, the, 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 the kind of soups we can bring to the ladies' soup supper? And I'm like, I just like, I cannot do that. And I started imagining conversations with my pastor friends saying, hey, how, why did things not work out at CIL? Why aren't you there anymore? I'm like, the elderly ladies wanted me to announce birthdays and I couldn't take it anymore. 
People were handing me slips of paper in the middle of my service and I couldn't take it anymore. So thank God that we overcame that. We overcame that. So it's just, I'm quirky like that. Like don't mess with my car, don't mess with my office, don't mess with my Sunday morning service. And, and I have a little bit of George Costanza in me. Y'all remember him from Seinfeld? He, he, he was one quirky dude, yeah. And, and this is an episode when I realized that uh, George didn't want to give out his ATM number. And, and so he was holding his ATM number, but at the culmination of the show, uh, I don't know how this happened, but there was a city fire and a man was stuck and he needed George's ATM number to get out. And George had to think about it. Guys, I can relate to that. I'm quirky like that. My soul is dark. That's what I need the Lord. The principle here is generosity means possessions over people. Here's, here's the last thing I want to share with you. People of favor. People of favor. Verse 41, we'll go back to that verse. It says, so those who accepted his message were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 people were added to them. It was a season of favor. And before you take the scripture out contextually, because I've had people say, in Acts chapter 2, they were adding thousands of people in one day. Why isn't the church doing that today? But also in the book of Acts, people were getting murdered and the church was scattered all over the world. So if you like this verse, you got to like the other verses too. The point is, is that seasonally, regionally, we have seasons of favor and we have seasons of persecution. In this case, we want and believe and we cherish the seasons of favor And verse 47 says the same thing. It says, they were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And every day the Lord added to their numbers those who were being saved. That's why what happens in culture matters. That's why what happens in society matters. That's why what happens in legislation we we ought to be aware of because when the culture is right, the church can thrive. It also thrives in persecution, but I'm just saying that I'm grateful I'm grateful for the United States of America. I just want to say that. I'm grateful for our country. With all our problems, man, we have a wonderful country. And I'm so thankful for those of you who coming up will be serving on uh, our Veterans Day is coming up in about eight days. And we're so grateful for you because we are a a place of religious liberty. Uh, Besides all, aside from all of our challenges, we have a great country. I believe CIL is moving into a new season of favor. That's just what I believe. That's what I'm believing for. Um, We're going to be okay. If it's a season of persecution, we're going to be okay because God's still God. But I believe we're moving into a new season of favor. Favor isn't earned because favor is an expression of grace. But we prepare for favor. So let me ask you this. Can we handle the favor? Let me ask you this. Can you handle God's favor on your life? That's a question. Can you handle? Because he's preparing you for favor. What is God's favor? God's favor is God. God's favor is his presence. It's his presence and more of what you do and more of who you are. His presence in your singleness. His presence in your marriage. His presence in your workforce, your work life. His presence in your athletics. His presence in your artistic expression. And you invite the presence of God as you write. You, you invite the presence of God as 
as you exercise, you, you, you start saying the favor of God. God's favor is on my finances. God's presence is on my finances. God's presence is on my relationship. I, I, know, I, I know of families in here that have seen miraculous things happen among their adult sibling children, and that's a sign of God's favor. It's God's presence intervening, intervening. And this is what we're asking. We're asking for the favor of God. Lord, prepare us at the favor of God. Some of you, what you've called a blessing has actually been a distraction. I want you to hear this. What you've called a blessing because it feels like an increase has actually been a distraction. Because if you receive something that takes you away from Jesus, that's not favor. Because without, without that, the favor of the Lord is the presence of the Lord. So if something that has been called good in your life takes you away from the kingdom of God, it's not good in your life. What we think is favor is really a distraction. But I want those of you to know that I believe a season of favor is before us, which means it's before you. The atmosphere is right. Come on, the preparation's been right. I'm not giving you just like an empty rah-rah speech. I'm speaking God's character over you. You have a God who loves you, a God who chose you, a God who has this eye on you, a God who is orchestrating the circumstances of your life. And so I'm here to tell you today, Acts chapter two people, don't give up. Don't quit on God too soon because he's never gonna quit on you. Don't let go of the promise. Hold on to what God has. Don't lose heart. Don't give up too soon. After the sowing, then comes the reaping. After the testing, then comes the testimony. After the preparation, then comes the favor. Don't trade your birthright for a moment of pleasure. You are a person of purpose. You are empowered by destiny. You have something to give. You have something to share. And you have someone who is behind you. You are a people of favor because God is with you. Acts chapter 2 people still exist today. Acts chapter 2 people are alive today. Acts chapter 2 people are sitting among you. We are Acts chapter 2 people. It's not just something we read about. It's something we walk in. It's just not something that we refer to. It's something we live in. We are Acts chapter 2 people. And Acts chapter 2 people are people of conviction, people of devotion, people of generosity, people of favor, because we are people of Jesus. And when we get Jesus, we get everything we need. And that is who you are. I want us to stand together in an attitude of prayer. Thank you for the stirring of the Lord. I know that that I was a little bit goofy with you today and telling stories about myself. And listen, I, I don't want to glorify myself. I, I'm just communicating the gospel. I just want to address this. Listen, I don't want this sermon to be about me. I'm just telling stories to, um, to, to point us to scripture so it's not just, just like a rote lecture, you know? It's something that has some relatability. And I want to tell you that because I don't want my sermons to be about me. I want you to know me. I want you to know my heart. I want to use my life experience to share with you. But please, please hear this. Hear this. This message was not about me telling stories about myself. This message was about turning your heart 
to the scripture and looking in Acts chapter 2 to see that if God did that with people who had less opportunity than us and less freedom than us and less education than us and less understanding than us and they didn't know how the world worked, they didn't understand science, and they didn't understand psychology and they didn't have access to all the information in the world like we do in our very phones but yet God used these people and he used their devotion and their generosity and he used them to shake the planet for him and he is looking for people again that says I'm going to get devoted to the right thing and I'm going to receive the conviction of the Lord and I'm going to walk in the favor of the Lord and we're going to see God change our lives, our friends' lives and change the world because we don't exist just to breathe oxygen. We don't exist just to mark time. We are kingdom bearers. We are image bearers of the glory of God and we're reflecting the great things of God. So I call you out to not live ordinary normal lives. I say look at our forefathers and say if you did it in Acts chapter 2 you can do it again if you did it for them you are doing it for us and we are going to receive your favor which is not our wish list the favor of the God is the God of the favor the favor of God is himself and so we receive his presence for those of you who, who choose to go to the Lord's table today this is not a dead road experience of eating bread and drinking the cup this is, we believe in this symbolic act that the presence of the living God is in the elements. And so when we receive the infusion of the life of God that, that, that sanctifies us for his purposes. So we don't come to the Lord's table as qualified individuals by our own morality, our own self-will, our own good choices. We come to the table of the Lord because Jesus was a substitute. Jesus, he took the price for our sins. Jesus knew all of our flaws and he still does. And yet he chose us. Jesus saw all of our deficiencies. And then he said, I still have a place for you at the table. And so every Sunday when we go to the table of the Lord, it reminds us that we depend on Jesus for our life, our hope, and for all that we are. And so that's available for you today. Pastor Deborah is going to be serving communion by intention. And so you can meet her at this front table in the middle and she'll present the bread and the cup and you can take the bread and you can dip it in the cup if you want to take communion in that manner. Also to your left, to your right, in the back, the table of the Lord is, is available to you and so you can take the bread and take the cup when you're ready. I won't give further instructions today. You can take it on your own when your heart is ready. We have a full room today, so we'll have to kind of go in phases. I think you guys can figure that out. If we all, if we all move at the very same moment, it can be uh, just a, a little disruptive. So, so let's, let's, a few of you start, a few of you can wait, but we're gonna spend some time as, as Josh leads us in worship, connecting with the presence of the Lord and, so, and, and, and available for him. I'll be here at the front if you wanna pray with me and some of our other leaders may be up here too. And let's just invite the Lord here. God, we pray as we respond to this message today. God, we pray, Lord, that your presence that's in this symbolic act, Lord, we pray that it would infuse the life of Jesus within us. Thank you that today you've given us hope for heaven. You've given us hope for eternity. You've given us hope for a future in you. And we rest in Jesus Christ, our only hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.